0: is the CEO and co-founder of Season Health. Prior to starting Season Health, Josh co-founded the meal prep delivery service, Plated, which led to an appearance on Shark Tank, investments, and an eventual sale to the grocery company Albertsons. Josh Hicks is a serial entrepreneur, having co-founded several successful tech startups. Josh holds a bachelor's degree from the Georgia Institute of Technology and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Today on The Pulse Podcast, we're very excited to welcome Josh Hicks, the founder and CEO of Season Health. Now, Josh, today we know that you started Season Health, but this is not your first foray into entrepreneurship. Prior to Season Health, you successfully founded, plated a meal prep delivery service that even appeared on Shark Tank. Can you explain to our guests what it was like pitching to Kevin O'Leary and Mark Cuban?
1: Sure. You know, the, the first thing I would say is it was just humbling. So, uh, my co founder, Nick, and I started Plated in 2012, which was relatively early in the Shark Tank sort of journey. I think we were on season five. And we went out there, you know, with two fancy MBA degrees and having already raised venture capital and really all the advantages in the world and it was still terrifying we were nervous and sweating and you know uh, not at all prepared for the the full spotlight and I think among other things it just gave us a, a huge amount of respect for the you know the the entrepreneurs who are out there who have mortgaged their houses who have you know everything on the line who haven't had the The dubious pleasure of having pitched hundreds of VCs before that, uh, which was, you know, a a great training ground for us. So it was a lot of fun. Also very nerve wracking. We're happy we did it uh, even to this day. I mean, it's been almost 10 years now and here we are still talking about it.
0: Were Kevin O'Leary and Mark Cuban different from all the other VCs (laughs) you had pitched to before?
1: The conversation was more like a traditional VC pitch than we expected. Most of it now it's it's tv clearly and you know most folks don't want to sit there and listen to the mechanics of liquidation preferences and ratchets so there are parts that were missing that were present in a more traditional pitch but by and large it was a fairly standard conversation so most of the meeting was more like a traditional venture pitch than at least we imagined going in i think you know remember it's tv so most people don't want to sit in their living rooms on Friday night and hear about liquidation preferences and ratchets and other not-so-interesting things, but for the most part, it was a standard venture pitch. The biggest difference, I would say, is we were in there for an hour and a half. Now, after editing and uh, you know them cutting it down, they aired nine minutes. So, what you see is a lot punchier, a lot shorter and crisper than what actually happened in the meeting
0: that's very exciting to have pitched to Kevin O'Leary and Mark Cuban and after successfully exiting plated we're curious what motivated you to then venture into an adjacency still food related but food as medicine so what was the motivation for you to start season health
1: you know in a lot of ways it was season is just an extension of plated we have had had long term aspirations to get into something you know, more directly nutrition and health oriented with plated. And those were, you know, those were sort of dreams that we never got to realize. Uh, We sold the company for a lot of reasons, um, but it meant that we, you know, we didn't get to sort of build the next chapter. Uh, And so after leaving uh, the acquirer, I ended up spending a lot of time with my now co-founder Mustafa, who had been the founding CTO at a very large mental health care business. And with Dr. Andrea Feinberg, who had been the founding physician at the Geisinger Fresh Food Pharmacy, so the three of us sort of brought consumer food experience, scaled, you know, sort of startup mental health care and the technology side of it, experience in those areas, and then uh, you know a clinician who had direct experience in uh, food as medicine. So somewhere in that mix, you know, season came out, and the motivation was there from the beginning.
0: The collaboration between the three of you sounds like a match made in heaven in terms of covering the healthcare technicality side, combined with your knowledge of the food industry and what it means to actually create sort of affordable meal kits that you can dispense and then coupled with the clinical side. And now pivoting on to season health specifically, I'm curious, what does food as medicine mean to you?
1: It's a great question. So, I don't know that there is a universal definition of this term yet. And we honestly have tried to, to stay away from it in some senses because it's so broad. But for us, what it means is, at least today, the treatment of chronic illness. So, it's using nutrition to treat chronic illnesses, you know, of which most are very nutritionally responsive.
0: And given that foundational basis, and I totally hear you that food as medicine gets coupled into a lot of phrases. It's definitely a buzzword in the industry now. But given this foundation, can you provide an overview of what the food as medicine industry looked like prior to starting Season Health? What gaps did you see, and where did you see opportunities to come in and innovate in the industry?
1: I might say that the food as medicine industry. As sort of hard to define as that is, before COVID was really about making some recommendations to people. Type 2 diabetes, I think it's well established that eating less carbs can lead to the management and reversal of the disease. But largely what was happening before was either that the physician was at best able to recommend a dietitian who would recommend that the patient eat less carbs, as often as not, the physician probably you know, didn't have much to say in the way of nutrition. And so in the best case scenario, the patient got some advice about what to eat and then was sent on their way to the next encounter. And they're seeing multiple specialists and there's a care coordination issue and so on and so forth. What we're trying to do, what Season is trying to do is to make that advice actionable. So for the patient, rather than recommending they eat less carbs, we're a software solution that sits on top of all of the ways that they might buy food today, whether that's Walmart curbside or Instacart or anywhere that they're digitally buying food and helping them to make those decisions partially through just surfacing better options for them, and partially through applying payer dollars to make the healthier options more affordable.
0: Now, you mentioned previously that Season Health helps direct patients or users to healthier ways to prepare foods, maybe even connecting them to healthier options through subsidies from payers. Can you explain the full gamut of what Season Health does today and how you envision Season Health evolving in the future?
1: Today, Season is a software platform that does two broad things. One, for the healthcare industry. So for payers and providers, we help providers prescribe nutrition. So instead of the provider you know, being some verbal guidance, maybe some written guidance, there's a system either integrated into their EHR or otherwise that lets them actually write a quote-unquote prescription down to the nutrient level, down to the meal level per patient based on their, their clinical diagnosis. Uh, we also help facilitate payment from the payer. So to the extent that they believe there's ROI, and obviously we do, we can help take the dollars from them and apply it to the food that the patient is ultimately buying. For the patient, we're an app. We're an app that they can use anywhere they're buying food, whether that's the QR codes at restaurants or you know, grocery prepared meals, really anywhere, which I think one of the, the, the sort of big insights is that that's most places these days, right? This was one of the, we think, silver linings to the pandemic for all the tragedy. Part of what happened is that so much of our food buying for all populations, including Medicare and otherwise, went online in the last two years Which gives us the opportunity to help the patient shape this newly digital food environment they live in.
0: And so, in terms of providing the actual nutritional prescriptions from a medical or clinical angle, does Season hire nutritionists or dieticians to produce those recommendations?
1: So, we work in a couple of different ways. We are really a, a platform and the, our payer partners can choose how to work with us. We have a nationwide network of registered dietitians. So our dietitians can see patients if that's the best model. Uh, we also work with partners where they employ the clinicians. So capitated providers and otherwise, where we're the software provider to their clinicians. So it really, you know, we're agnostic of where the clinicians sort of sit in the ecosystem. We just want to build the best software to put in their hands to serve patients with.
0: And now I'm curious, you mentioned on the payer side that some payers may choose to get involved because they see a cost savings ultimately from using season or using nutrition as a way to mitigate chronic conditions. How do you demonstrate that efficacy to payers? What types of metrics are you looking at, or what types of studies or outcomes do you point to to indicate the cost savings from utilizing a service like Season?
1: There's a whole universe of existing research out there. I think part of the you know part of part of the fascinating thing for us as we started to, to work on the business was there's tremendous amounts of research around clinical outcomes and you know, to, to a lesser extent claims outcomes, savings, that has already been done. It's just that it's so hard to help people actually follow the advice. Again, you know, go home and eat less carbs. Some folks are able to to you know put that into practice in their real daily lives, but many people are not. What I don't think is disputable, or that you know I think everyone buys into at this point is if a type two diabetic is able to achieve that diet, that they will have outcomes. So there's a lot of research that is already you know it's already out there. We're also in the early days at least uh, of our own research. We've got a clinical trial with common spirit that's uh, kicking off very shortly. and um, you know we'll be doing research probably forever.
0: And in that critical actionability component where you actually help patients, for example, diabetes patients, adopt the diet that will lead to better healthcare outcomes for them. How does Season achieve that in partnership with the care team that the patient already has? How does Season fit into the patient's care continuum today?
1: The way that Season fits into the the patient's daily life and their care is uh, in two ways. One, the app helps... Facilitate the care for the provider, whoever it is. So the follow-ups, uh, some of the lab tracking, some of the more you know, clinical components, and two, uh, as that sort of you know magic wand for finding the right kinds of food and making sure it ends up you know on the doorstep or on the actual table. And I think that part is really you know making that super easy. Uh, Making it consumer-grade is really a big part of uh, you know the magic and making it all work.
0: And does Season Health also provide recipes or things that are easy for consumers to prepare? I know that was one aspect of Plated, so wondering if there's any ties or similarities that you're leveraging from Plated that can help, given the direct-to-consumer appeal of the product.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And apologies. I feel like I've not yet done a very good job of explaining what we actually do. <laughs> so, <laughs> Season is an app for the patient where their nutritional requirements from their clinician is just baked in, right? They don't need to necessarily be that aware of it. It's just sort of in the background. Their experience is one of here are some recipes for whenever you want to cook this week, fulfilled by your favorite grocery store. Here are some suggestions for prepared meals from a variety of partners that fit your cultural background, your budget, your time constraint, so on and so forth. Um, we are really that tool to help them find food, whether it's you know recipes from the grocery store, their weekly staples, their eggs and milk from the grocery store, their prepared foods from you know restaurants or other prepared meal vendors, really across the ecosystem, as long as it fits their clinical sort of requirements and their consumer preferences, it'll show up in the app for them. And a lot of the the recipe side of that is certainly inspired by a plated. Um, in fact, we've brought a lot of the, the old plated team on board here um, because that was a lot of, you know, with less of a strict clinical lens, this is a lot of the work that we were doing in those days was taking into account consumer preferences. Just what do you and your family or whoever you're eating with and preparing food for, what do you all like to eat? Tell us that through your behavior, through what you buy, and how you rate things, and we'll get better and better at it over time.
0: Thank you for explaining that. That makes a lot of sense in terms of season being a connector of the patient's clinical information through their providers and integrating a diet and nutrition plan into an easy-to-use, user-friendly app that then helps coordinate local groceries or even pre-prepared meals for the patient. Now, in terms of convincing patients to actually eat those meals or helping them work through any challenges they may have in purchasing or even preparing some of the items, is there a telehealth component to Season Health where the patient is able to interface directly with a nutritionist who can help explain some of the recommendations? Or is that sort of currently exists in the provider side of this partnership?
1: So... The season program is a clinical program. There is always a dietitian involved, whether it's a dietitian employed by season or by one of our partners, there's always a dietitian. So yes, is the short answer. There's a telehealth component. There's a dietitian there. They're not the ones typically doing the food recommendations, though. You know, there's other, whether it's health coaches or other, you know, other kinds of folks that are helping with that. But I think the, the real answer to the question of how to make it easy is in again, I think building a consumer grade app that I mean, anybody can use an iPhone, right? That that's it's sort of a, an overused example, but that's the the bar that we really think healthcare should be setting. You know, these things should be so easy to use that anybody can use them. And as long as the food tastes good, you know, we, we believe that anybody would eat it. You know, if, if there was a way to have a private chef come into your home and prepare meals that were on plan clinically, you know, healthy and tasted great and matched your culture and your preferences, and they were just around all the time, you would eat very well. And I think, you know, that is what we endeavor to do through technology is to scale that kind of experience for people.
0: And. Are there specific patient segments Season Health is currently targeting? I'm thinking there's a difference in terms of managing high-acuity patients with those who have certain segments of chronic conditions. I know you mentioned diabetes, but also cardiovascular disease. It's another one that diet matters more for, or even children. Is there any sort of segmentation within the patient population that Season Health is focused on?
1: So we're live today in patients with diabetes and chronic kidney disease. Uh, And uh, very shortly, we'll be live in a few other disease states, uh, namely heart failure, certain forms of cancer and maternity.
0: How do you envision Season health evolving in terms of potentially additional services or products, as well as in terms of the patient segments that Season health will be focused on?
1: Well, primarily for a, a good long time, we're going to be focused on those five populations and just scaling them. You know, I think it's sort of sad, but is our reason for being that it's hard to overstate how big these populations are, how big these problems are. So, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to focus and scale to the hundreds of millions of Americans that have these conditions. So Focus is uh, is my, my my short answer to that.
0: And for patients who exhibit multiple comorbidities, does season health also have a place where some of the conditions that you mapped out overlap?
1: Of course, of course. I mean again, the sort of you know somber reality is that most patients have multiple conditions.
0: And you mentioned too that season health is focused on creating value both for providers as well as payers. And so reimbursement and commercialization happens through insurers, also some provider systems. How do you think about Season Health's commercialization model evolving? Are you considering any direct-to-consumer or direct-to-employer or even value-based recapitated models?
1: So we have a direct-to-consumer offering today. However, I would note that does not mean direct to you know, wellness it is a consumer offering for patients living with these chronic diseases. And in the payer segment, we're really focused on value arrangements already. I mean we you know we exist and want our alignment to be around making people healthy. So our contracts today are you know forms of value, and it takes time to move towards full global capitation, if that is indeed even the right answer. But we are, you know, we, we are an endeavor to be fully aligned around outcomes. You know, we wanna we wanna do well by helping our patients get healthier.
0: And when you then track some of these outcomes, I know we talked about it earlier in the conversation, but it sounds like there's a plethora of metrics out there. But some of the challenges is, you know, is the patient actually eating the food that is going to be helpful for their condition? Are those sorts of Metrics—the ones that you're looking at when you're thinking about how to structure these value-based arrangements.
1: Well, there's sort of a, a longitudinal, you know, way to look at it. Certainly, we're looking at early engagement metrics. Um, you know, how much has the patient bought? How many? How often are they logging in? Uh, are they showing up for their dietitian visits? Things like this. But ultimately, it's clinical outcomes. You know, did the A1C come down for a patient with diabetes, uh, and then claims outcomes, uh, which you know are are very long sort of lag times, but that's the the ultimate endpoint.
0: And when you work with healthcare systems and the patient's care team, did you face any challenges with incumbent systems or legacy systems of how nutrition is typically delivered and recommended to patients?
1: I think the short answer is no, because I don't think nutrition is really all that present in most care settings.
0: I'm imagining just in hospitals, the classic chocolate pudding and apple that patients who undergo surgery get. And it is ironic because a lot of the food that healthcare systems themselves have for doctors, for clinical staff is historically, and I think even present day unhealthy. So if that's any indication of kind of the the meals or, or the focus on nutrition. I'm sure it's a little different for patients with chronic conditions, but it does seem that it is a very much historical legacy institutionalized system that hasn't had the type of innovation that companies like Season Health are bringing. And when you talk about addressing patients and the hundreds of millions of patients who suffer from a lot of these chronic conditions, how does Season Health tackle issues of food access So, I'm thinking if the app is connecting patients with available grocery items or restaurant pre prepared food items, that may be a gap for patients who are living in food deserts or where they don't have the means to purchase food that may be healthy.
1: So, we think about food deserts as having two two dimensions there's access, is it even possible to buy, and then affordability. And I think the exciting news that isn't yet fully appreciated again, you know, a lot of this is sort of one of the ways that the world has changed in the last couple of years is there is food delivery. Again, leaving aside for the moment affordability, there is healthy food delivery most places. Instacart covers 92% of the population. All of, or most of the digitally native brands like Plated deliver to 100% of the population. So, there is food available. The next question, and it's uh, it's the right one, is, well, yes, but isn't it expensive? It is more expensive on average today. However, this is where payers can step in. And with the right ROI, and we believe that it exists, and there's a lot of research to support this, it can make financial sense for everybody to invest in subsidizing the food to bring the cost down. And like all things, you know, all things generally in technology and otherwise, scale will help to bring some of those costs down. So there's, you know, we think some exciting things happening in both grocery and prepared food and some things that we'll announce later this year. We think that these are solvable problems and that they are. That there is more sort of raw material there to work with than many people might appreciate even today.
0: This point around food delivery companies like Instacart and Others being able to actually deliver food to a vast majority of the United States has that phenomenon resulted more recently from COVID and trends for online food delivery, or has that been an ongoing trend in the food industry over the past few years?
1: Well, I think online food generally is only a few years old. Yeah, you know, it's sort of uh, it's a little bit of reminiscent, but when we were raising money back in 2012 for Plated, you know, there was no category called food tech. And in fact, most people literally laughed at us. You're going to, you're going to mail food to people. You know, you're insane. Get out of my office. So this notion of, you know, of food delivery, I think is, and there was pockets of it. I mean, there were, you know, some, some services in, in, in the largest cities, New York, Chicago have existed for a while, but You know, food delivery until pretty recently was pizza. And so I think, one, it's a pretty new category broadly. And then two, what happened over COVID is that, you know, populations, you know, people, groups of people that weren't really using this stuff started to use it. I don't think that the Medicare population was doing that much grocery delivery until sadly, we were all forced into our homes and told that you know, going to the grocery store was dangerous. So I, I think that really has shifted you know, dramatically and very recently.
0: Now, how do you think about Season Health partnering with others across the broader food ecosystem to really reshape the food environment and elevate issues like health, broaden access, and reduce overall food waste?
1: So, the way that we think about this is r- really just the, the kind of common sense notion that we all eat what's around us. you know we you, you eat what's what's in your house. if you have a significant other who does most of the food prep, you eat what's there, you eat the snacks in your office. We all kind of just eat what's around us. and so is it really that much of a surprise that in you know, certain neighborhoods where the the food that's most available is not healthy, and that you know people have a greater than average disease burden. It seems relatively obvious. And so a big part of the way that we think about Season's mission is, one, as we've been talking about, people's food environment is digital now. I think that's a huge unlock. And because it's digital, we can help people shape this new environment that's digital. We can bring in you know, the food delivery companies, grocery and otherwise, that they either didn't know was available or might've been outside their budget, you know, subsidize it with payer dollars. So we can really help people shape their own newly digital food environment. And then I think the the, the sort of uh, second big act there is by using the the, the demand that's created from all of these patients looking to do what most of them want to do, which is get healthier, we can help shape the actual, Uh, you know, restaurants and prepared food environment in their neighborhoods as well.
0: Given Season Health has already launched its offerings and already worked with many providers and payers, I'm wondering what types of feedback you've been getting from both patients as well as payers and providers in terms of new opportunities and outcomes that Season has brought forth and where there may be existing areas to continue working on?
1: Well, we're only a few months in. We have only launched our first partners very recently. So all of the feedback is is early and anecdotal, but there's a lot there we're excited about. There's a lot of great early engagement signals and you know, anecdotal feedback and, and so on. But I think it's really too early to, to say too much more than that.
0: And one... Detail that you mentioned earlier that struck me was this piece around cultural competence. So, you mentioned that given Season is here to help enable patients to really feel empowered when they're purchasing food and preparing food that will help their clinical care journey, how does Season marry the cultural aspect and why does culture matter from Season Health's point of view when it comes to? Using food as nutrition and food as health and food as medicine.
1: Well, again, I, I think this is a relatively common sense notion. It matters because everyone has food preferences. We all, we all have a certain taste, and you know, that comes from how we grew up and where we live and what we like. And so, it's important for the food to taste good. People won't eat if it doesn't taste good. I mean, it's. I think it's as simple as that. It's got to taste good, and part of tasting good is. Uh, you know, being so-called culturally competent, but really it's just, it's got to be something that people are interested in eating. And so the way that we approach that is, uh, this is a lot of the stuff that, again, we were working on in the plated years. There's a lot of, you know, machine learning and AI and those terms get thrown around a lot, but to apply to what is essentially a search problem, you know, find me 10 recipe recommendations that Fit a time budget of fifteen minutes. you know I don't want to spend more than fifteen minutes cooking and a cost per serving of three dollars or less and you know have this kind of cultural sort of elements to them and meet my clinical needs and my kids don't like spicy food, and my spouse is a vegetarian, take all you know fifteen of those parameters and find something for me. It's really a search problem. And a person could do that, but, no one really wants to spend the hours and hours uh, you know doing that. most folks don't have it. So making that easy is really you know we think the, the big sort of unlock.
0: You mentioned too that season Health has partnered with other providers to help make the product and service even better for patients. Can you speak more about the Geisinger partnership? I know Dr. Feinberg is one of the founding. Members of the season health team, but curious what the partnership with Geisinger Food Pharmacy looks like and what we can look forward to seeing in the future from
1: this partnership. So we're partnered with Geisinger to essentially help them scale the existing food pharmacy program. You know that program uh, was entirely offline and generated a lot of very inspiring outcomes and and you know stories, um, but has never grown very large, and so. Essentially, we're helping to digitize that and scale it. We're starting in the the patient populations they serve today, which is patients living with diabetes. Uh, Over time, we will scale that to other disease states, to other types of patients, um, and ultimately to other payers.
0: And Season Health has also announced partnerships with Cricket and Common Spirit Health. You mentioned the upcoming clinical trials with Common Spirit. Are there any other partnerships or news about these specific partnerships you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: You know, there is some, there's some exciting stuff happening, but nothing that we're quite ready to share just yet.
0: And now pivoting to look at the market landscape more broadly, how do you think about your competitor landscape? I know you mentioned that Season Health is kind of in this niche where it. Kind of touches on food and medicine and other industries, but there's not at least historically so been a direct incumbent. And so how do you think about who your competitors are and how do you think about positioning season health within that landscape?
1: I think our biggest competitor honestly, is the status quo. It's just continuing to do nothing. You know payers are overwhelmed. they are typically risk averse. they're risk managers by title. Providers are a hundred times more overwhelmed. I think the biggest competitor is just doing nothing. So our job is not to, you know, we, in our view, to, to sell against some other company. It's to help you know, make this as easy as possible, to make the, the numbers and the business case, and the ROI as compelling as possible, and to really help educate folks. You know, another way to say that is, if there were an incumbent that were doing a great job, there wouldn't be a hundred million Americans that are pre-diabetic or diabetic. So, you know, we just don't see a big competitor to be worried about. It's not, it's not the right thing to worry about anyway, in my opinion. You know, we should be focused on our patients, not the competitors. So, it really is about focus on you know patients and outcomes, and then on. You know this this sort of broad idea, broad bucket of the status quo.
0: I appreciate that Season Health is elevating the industry standard and redefining how food can be used in a very practical way with patients from all cultures, backgrounds, and geographies, be it rural or urban, to provide better access to healthy options that can reduce their overall healthcare burden on the healthcare ecosystem. And with that, congrats on the huge Series A round. Can you share your thoughts on what Season Health's near-term priorities are for this series of funding?
1: Our, our priorities are really to continue to invest in the patient experience and in scaling to more patients and to new disease states. That's the short list. Certainly, there's a there's a tremendous amount of of you know product and software to build to enable all of that, but that's um, those the, are the big, the big headlines.
0: Now, shifting to your thoughts on the broader healthcare industry, how do you see food and nutrition as an industry, given your prior experience in it, as it relates to managing healthcare conditions evolving in the near term with things like season health, but also more awareness about preventive care and awareness about how Deeply, food and nutrition impacts our day-to-day health.
1: I don't know that. I don't know that I have any special insight here. And healthcare is such a massive industry, so I would, I would, uh, I would take all this with a grain of salt. But you know, in terms of preventive care, it doesn't seem like there is a great way to get preventive care paid for within the current healthcare system. We all change insurance plans too much. There are a lot of complicating factors. So, you know, we would like to find a way over time to build a product that is, you know, in preventative care. But I think until that becomes clearer, we're left, uh, you know, sort of focusing on the people who in in many ways need help more. So it's a a good place to focus our our time and energy. But I think preventative care is a different thing, just to, to sort of make that distinction. I think a lot of the food industry is, uh, you know, coming around to functional foods and other forms of, you know, wellness and so on. I think it's, it's hard to wade through the claims out there. And there's a, there's just a, there's more going on in that world than than I can wrap my head around, but hard to make predictions.
0: It definitely is, especially with all the ongoing momentum that's occurring recently. It's, definitely an exciting time to be at the nexus of the two. And are there any other trends or phenomenon you've noticed from your work in healthcare and in the food industries that you would like to share with our
1: listeners? I would just say, I think it's a very exciting time in healthcare. And keep in mind, I've only been working in this industry for about two years. So that said, there's, a tremendous amount of change happening. I've I've heard it said that there's more change now happening than at least in our lifetimes. I do think that there it's, it's a complex regulated industry and an industry where a, a lot of care is warranted in how, you know, how products and services are built, but nonetheless, there's a lot of room for new solutions, more efficiency. You know, I don't think anybody disputes that there's a lot of waste in healthcare and that you know technology is uh, not yet that widely deployed, and that there there are a lot of uh, you know exciting opportunities there, and, and real needs. You know the, the the sort of industry writ large is trending in ways that is that are not necessarily sustainable from a cost perspective, and the experience that we all get, generally speaking, as patients, is not that great.
0: Thank you for sharing from your experience in healthcare and also in the food industries. I'd like to pull from your this last section on your experience as an entrepreneur. Some of our listeners are interested in starting their own companies or working at earlier stage startups. Can you share any general advice on entrepreneurship with our listeners?
1: I think someone smarter than me once said that the only general startup advice is that there is no general startup advice. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at it anyway, but I would, I would say find something that you care about working on. This is not, uh, it's not something you should do because you think that it's a good time to start a company or just that you want to start a company. I think it's, it's hard and that's, that's really not a very helpful descriptor. It's, it's all consuming and if it's not if you don't have a broader why behind it i don't think that it's it's hard to get out of bed on the hard days and there will be many many hard days so i think my only general advice would be find something that you that you care about working on but also where there is a clear path to building a big business because it's it's not helpful either to you know sort of t- tilt at windmills indefinitely
0: and were you convinced that you were going to be an entrepreneur when You thought about starting your own company, or how did your journey to being a serial startup founder now really begin?
1: It's really for whatever reason, and I I can't explain it. Always been the obvious path for me. I was sort of freelancing in college, helping pay my way through. One of those freelance sort of projects turned into my first company. I've always been an entrepreneur. It's really you know always been what. of appealed to me and has always been my career path. So I suppose it was obvious. I'm not sure I could explain why.
0: (laughs) That's great. And now that you've had so many opportunities to speak with and work with investors, what do you look for when you're assembling your investor
1: team? It's a great question. And I think it's easy to overlook how impactful the investors are and what i mean by that is i don't think the negative sides of this uh, get all of the attention that they probably deserve you know investors can be harmful to a company too and i've seen that you know sadly uh, fairly frequently so i think it's not about just finding the investors who are the most helpful it's about avoiding the ones who are actually distracting and detracting value from a startup and so for me what i'm looking for is you know, one, just, is there a a personality fit? You know, these are people that you're going to spend a lot of time with over the years, you know, over decades, quite probably. Do you, uh, you know, have values alignment and and the other parts of, you know, that kind of personality fit? Do they have an opinion, right? Are they going to show up on time, have read the materials, have an opinion, offer it up, and then ultimately get out of the way? Right? People that don't show up on time, and, and all these things are things I've seen, you know, more often than they probably should happen, but don't show up on time, haven't read the materials, aren't prepared, either don't have an opinion, in which case they're not adding anything to the conversation, or have an opinion that they aren't willing to let go of, and so it becomes a point of diminishing returns and sort of a, a swirl that the, you know, the conversation can get stuck in. All of those things are not helpful. So looking for folks to really do what I think is kind of some of the basic blocking and tackling, but I think it's a lot of entrepreneurship is just you know, doing the right things, but doing them every single day.